0: shalom tonight's garden of amuna class is going to be focused on the theme of Moses' faith the faith of moshe Rabbeinu. and i don't mean faith like in religion i mean moses faith in god and the reason why i chose that topic is because this thursday is the seventh of adar and the seventh of adar is the birthday and the yard site of moses moses says in deuteronomy today i am 120 from here we learn out that he passed away on the day he was born 120 years later he had 120 full years so with that being this thursday which is the seventh of adar we're going to focus on the faith of moses and when i say the faith of moses i'm going to refer to the teaching in Chassidus quoted from kabbalah that there is a moses in every single generation what is that type of faith about and what would i know about a faith of moses so i'm going to quote to you a statement from the Rebetzin of blessed memory about the Rebbe of saintly memory. The Rebetzin told someone, she never referred to a husband by name, it's always Derman, the husband. She said that my husband's strength is his three faiths. What are the three faiths? She listed them out. My husband's faith in God, my husband's faith in the Torah, and my husband's faith in a fellow Jew. Now, what you're going to hear about faith in God and faith in Torah, it's not just Moses. That type of faith, every Jew has to have a taste of it. All Jews, from the what we call the simple Jews to the most saintly scholars, they all need to have faith in God, faith in Torah, if you don't have faith and you don't, uh, in god you don't have faith in torah then there's there goes the foundation of having a relationship with god you need to believe in god to have a relationship with god and you need to believe in torah because torah is our bridge that connects us with god it's the 613 connections so to believe in god not to believe in torah which means that i have no practical implications of my faith that leaves you disconnected we'll talk about that in a moment what took me when I heard this story was the Rebbe's third faith. The Rebbe's faith in a fellow Jew. That becomes very tricky, especially when you're sitting in the position that the is sitting, where you've been promised things over and over and over. You've relied on people, you've relied on Jewish organizations and been let down over and over and over. If this one person who's received letters from all over the world of commitments and then later to hear that they weren't fulfilled, I would suggest that is the Rebbe. And yet to be able to have such a strong faith and continue with that strong faith and not playing games, being realistic and yet having absolute faith in the goodness of every single Jew, to me, that was just mind boggling. That was really amazing. So what I'd like to do tonight is, since the topic wa- it was, a taste of the faith of Moses Moses faith in in these three faiths I'd like to share with them one by one let's talk by all three let's talk about the faith in God what is unique about Moses faith in God and you'll hear more about this by the way tomorrow you saw our second invite went out tomorrow um, our shul is joining with the uh, Chabad of Golden Beach and in the Ramada in Golden Beach, we're having the Yuma Rambam, and I'll be speaking there about Mashiach in the times of exile. You'll hear a little bit of this, what we're talking about tonight, but on a different dimension. When you talk about the faith of Moses, we're talking about a whole different dimension. Why? I'll tell you why. We're not being over here, you know, exclusive to Moses. No, we're talking about it simply according to the teachings of Kabbalah. What does it say in Kabbalah? That why is Moses called Moses? So it turns to the verse. What does the verse say? Why did Pharaoh's daughter call him Moses? By the way, Moses is an Egyptian name. Moses actually had a Jewish name. He was given a Jewish name by his mother. Remember that his mother and father, they were able to hide him for three months. So uh, they also obviously gave him a Brit Milah. The tribe of Levi always gave the Brit Milah. They were from the tribe of Levi. So at the Brit Milah, they gave him a name. And the, the Talmud has different opinions. You could see or different opinions. But yet he's known, not by his Jewish name, he's actually known by his Egyptian name, not the one that was given to him by his holy father and mother, but the one that was given to him by the daughter of Pharaoh. Interesting. By the way, while we're in this, uh, in this season to be merry, you'll know that there's another person just like that. And it's right in the Megillah. Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah, Esther's Persian name was Esther, and most people don't even remember that her name was Hadassah. Everyone knows her as Queen Esther. The book is called Megillah Esther, not Megillah Hadassah. But let's go back to our topic. Why was he called Moshe? The daughter of Paro Batya, gives an explanation. He minhamayim mishitiu," Because I drew him forth from the water. She found him on the water. She took him out of the water. The Ariya Kadosh, the Rizal, and Kabbalah, explains what this means. He talks about a different level of consciousness. In the world of Tanya, you're taught over there, That there are two realms. There is the realm of the revealed world and there's the realm of the hidden world. In the world of Kabbalah we talk about it as land creatures and sea creatures. What is the difference between a land creature and a sea creature? The land creature walks on top of the earth. Even though he comes from the earth, even though all his sustenance comes from the earth, nevertheless he does not in the earth, he's upon the earth. While the fish The sea creatures are actually within the water, a very different dimension. Not only that, in the Talmud, when it talks about the laws of mikvah, you're not allowed to have anything in between your body and the water. So there's an opinion that if you're holding on to a fish, if you're holding on to a sea creature, it's not a separation because the sea creature is halakhically water. It is one with the water. By the way, we do not follow that opinion because it's a one opinion versus the majority. We always follow the majority. But the mere fact that there is such an opinion tells you how one the sea creature and the sea is. What does that mean in the world of Kabbalah? What it means in the world of Kabbalah is that the land creatures don't live within the consistent consciousness of their true life force and their true identity. While when we talk about in Kabbalah, we talk about the ninayamin, the big whales of the, of the ocean, which refers to the souls of tzaddikim, we're talking about those who live in this physical world with the same exact spiritual consciousness as the soul lives in the world of Atzilut before it came down into this world. So when we talk about Moses as kimina ma'yim what Arizal says is he comes from a different shemitah, Kabbalistic term over here. A different sabbatical cycle. And I just explained it in a very practical way. And the difference of consciousness. So when you hear a Moses talk. In his world. Just give you a, an interesting example. And I'm not talking about a Moses here. I'm talking about a Chassid of Moses. Rabbi Kanish, Kani should live and be well. Was standing in Borapak waiting for the Borapak bus there's a special bus that privately owned that goes from borough park kran heights heights back and forth another jew was waiting there and another jew gave the famous jewish expression when you have to wait for long "Oi, this bus is going to come when mashiach comes it's a jewish phrase abuel khan turned around and said no mashiach's for sure going to come we're not so sure this bus is going to come he turned around and said you must be a lubavitcher <laughs> So I, I'm just, and obviously that's because you live with the Rebbe day in and day out. The word Mashiach is such a reality that it's just nonstop. Every single Sikha the Rebbe ever spoke about finished with Mashiach, and everything is Mashiach. And every time a person came to the Rebbe, and you said you have it on video with the dollars, a person coming to the Rebbe and saying that you know we can't keep the yeshiva open financially. What are we gonna do? And the Rebbe's answer: Mashiach's coming. <laughs> you know that that was a reality. And uh, to most of us, it's a tap and oh But when you hear a Moshe Rabbeinu talking, when you hear a soul which comes from the ocean, a sea creature talk, you hear him talking about divinity. You hear him talking about that reality the way we talk about the physical reality. To actually quote the holy books, when you talk about the world of Atzilut, in that spiritual place, the words are, that world is something which is a novelty while divinity is just a simple reality. So imagine what that means because the exact opposite is in our world. We know for sure that you and I exist. We know for sure that the physical world exists. We know for sure that the laws of nature exist. Now we have to use a munah and struggle and use a third eye to see that God exists. Imagine what it would be like to be just the opposite imagine to have that life where God is definite waking up in the morning and seeing that what the Torah says is real and happening is a definite the laws of nature well we're going to believe that that works because God said it should work that way look at the exact opposite state of conscious so when we talk about the faith of Moses in the mere existence of God by us, no matter how strong our faith is, there's always that struggle of abstract versus tangible reality. And that's why faith in God for us is a living organism. It moves up, it moves down. Yesterday's faith is today's knowledge. We move on and on. And that whole time, it's a struggle. Sometimes you feel it's so real, you're willing to bank your less, last dollar on it, and sometimes you're crying out to Hashem, Hashem, I- I'm struggling with my Amunah. And that just shows us that even when we have the Amuna, it's abstract, because if it wouldn't be abstract, you'd never struggle with it. you never struggle with the sun coming up and the moon coming You just don't struggle with that, because that to you is not abstract. So it's not like one day I believe the sun's going to come up, the next day I'm struggling. Do I really believe that sun's coming up tomorrow? We don't have that because what's real and tangible we don't struggle with. But what's abstract and the mind keeps on, oops, I got it, I don't have it, I got it, I don't have it. The tzaddikim don't work that way. Those who are minamayim mishisiu, those who are the huge whales of the ocean, their consciousness of reality is completely different. But that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to share with you today is that when we're focusing on the faith of Moses, we're not just talking about the faith that God exists. Because a faith that God exists doesn't work. You will notice in our services, when we do that midah, we first say, Elokeinu, our God, and then we go on to say Eloke Avotenu, the gods of our forefathers. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. Chronologically, that is wrong. God was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God before He was our God, just chronologically. But what's going on here? Why do we first say our God? And the commentaries explain that many of us are plagued with believing a God who used to love the Jewish people, who used to do miracles for the Jewish people, who used to be a good God, but I'm not really sure that he's my God, keeping an eye on my back, continuously communicating with me. So it's not just to believe in a God, but we need to take it from a God to my God. I shared this with you before. I don't want to get into a 12-step program uh, class here, but step number three in the 12-step is awesome. Most people would think that anyone with a religious background would have no problem with step number three. It isn't so. Because many people with a religious background were taught to believe in a God, not my God. There's a huge step there. Then there's another step. The ultimate faith of Moses is not only that God exists, not only that he's my God, but the greatest challenge of all is that he is a compassionate, good, and trustworthy God. I'm going to share with you what this means. I once gave a lecture on this topic. I'm not going to give the whole lecture on this. We have another two steps to cover. But what would happen... If one day you went to make a purchase on your credit card and it was declined and you're fit to be tied because you know that your impeccable credit line has you at a limit of $10,000, you don't recall putting anything on this card because like a good accountant, you pay up in full every single month. And why was this declined? So you call up and you're this and you're that, there must be some mistake and you find out no there actually was a $10,000 purchase on your card. Not only that, but you also track it down and it isn't fraudulent. It's one of your friends who once needed a card and in your teen years, where you were still a virgin at heart and really knew how to believe and trust people, you made that person a copy. You gave him an additional card and he always had a card which he would never use unless he needed it when he rented a car so he had to have some card to put down. He would never charge it. And in case of emergency, and lo and behold, you just found out that this, this guy who you bonded with in c- high school that was the, uh, like your twin, the one you trusted with your life, just put a $10,000 charge on your card. What's your reaction? I paused when I asked you that question because the answer to that question is gonna tell me if you're really friends or not you see because it could be one of two reactions one is I can't believe it he destroyed me he absolutely destroyed me how am I ever gonna get it back from him I can't I thought I can trust him that would be one response the second response would be oh yes nothing to worry about I'm sure I'll take care of it two different responses two different types of relationships. You see, many of us have a relationship with God that when God puts an unexpected charge on our card, we are frantic, we thought we can trust Him, it's over with, I can't believe He did this to me. Then some of us have a relationship with God, what am I worried about? It came from God. I don't even need to know why. I know it's going to be okay. What I'd like to share with you is that the faith of Moses is not that God exists. It's not just that God is my God. It's not only that God is a just God. It is that God is a good God. And God would never do me in. And if God put a charge on my credit card, I can sleep like a baby. God will pay up his bills. God is going to give me the strength to pull through this. It's going to be an amazing experience, a growing experience, a loving experience. Most of us, I'm going to say, maybe just because I'm not brave enough to say, me, we don't have that type of faith. We really, really lack in our trust of God's goodness. Now, anyone who hears me mumbling to myself during the day will know that I really believe in God. I blame Him for everything that goes wrong in my life. I am consistently talking to Him, sometimes in a fresh manner. Is that faith in God? That's faith in God. I believe that God exists. I believe that God is in control of everything in my life, from the flat tire to being, I don't know what. But what am I lacking? What i'm lacking is a trusting relationship in god knowing that god is good and what god does is always good and pleasant once again as you've heard me make a million times i'm making a disclaimer to this tikkun stuff because tikkun stuff is just a nice way to believe that god isn't good and kind but there's a reason why i'm suffering so i'm going to avoid the tikkun i'm not starting out with everyone today here But I'm going to tell you that for tonight's class, do not hide behind Tikkun. I want to know if you and I can have a taste of Moses' belief. There is no reason for my suffering. The only reason why I'm suffering is because I don't have faith in God's goodness. So I'm worried. So I'm suffering. But if I would have faith in God's goodness, then I wouldn't be suffering. It's going to be okay. How do I know it's going to be okay? Because God did it. God's good. I trust God. So we're talking about the taste, the taste of the faith that Moses had. That even when he bickered with God, right after the first time he met Pharaoh, he still had absolute faith in the goodness, compassion of God. So I want to be very clear with step number one in faith, the first faith of Moses, which is faith in God. We can't hide when we talk about Moses' faith in God. We can't hide behind any animamins. We can't hide behind, of course there's a God. We can't even hide behind he's my God. We can't even hide behind he's a just God. Because if we're talking Moses language, we need to have absolute faith in the compassion and the goodness of God. You want to go out there and get a book. I actually told you about this book once. There's two books out there. Volume one is to me more phenomenal. There's actually a book where they comprised letters, just letters of the Rebbe on Bitachon. Trust in God. I will share with you that I read it when I was going through a very difficult period. And I will share with you that at some times the book got annoying to me it just got annoying. It's like sometimes I wanted to hear the Rebbe's side with me that God's not that trustworthy. It's just for an average person like you and I, just to live and hear the Rebbe's absolute 1,003% trust and it's gonna be okay because God never does something that's not good, can sometimes get on your nerves. Are you ever like really, really frustrated and you're having a full-blown tantrum, and this one schmo comes over and says, calm down. Yep. You know that? It's called homicide? Yeah. But anyway, so I wanted to share with you how real the Rebbe's faith is. Not that Rebbe's faith in God, not that Rebbe's faith in God is today as involved as he was in the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the ten plagues, and everything else. Not that God is just, that's all a given, but when you read the Rebbe's letter in response to people worrying, and you hear the Rebbe dealing with it, what are you worrying about? Have you forgotten who's sitting in the driver's seat? Well, my uh, huh, off-the-record answer is, yeah, I do know who's sitting in this driver's seat, and maybe that's why I'm worried. Because I know what I deserve, and da-da-da, and God's just, and da, da, da. It's all beautiful, but it's not a faith of Moses. The faith of Moses knows who's in the driver's seat. He knows that God is just. He knows everything. But what he knows more than all is that God is good and compassionate. God is trustworthy. Go to sleep like a baby. It's all taken care of. Understand, don't understand. He is going to explain it to you. He's not going to explain it to you. It doesn't make a difference. It's okay. It's okay. Let's go to step number two. Step number two is... The Rebbe said, faith in Torah. Now, what is faith in Torah? So over here also, I'm going to take it in the same vein, because I read an interview between a college student and the Rebbe, and that letter, I mean the, the, the documentation of it, the diary that I read, I'm, I'm yet to figure it out. uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm the rabbi who's got it all figured out. I worked it out inside out and my heart's at peace and I'm just telling you what you guys should believe. I'm taking this journey with you. For whatever reason, I thought at 44 I'd be past this. I guess I'm still stuck. But life goes on. The Rebbe writes there, the Rebbe tells that person something that really bothered me. It really bothered me because I sit counseling people who tell me the exact opposite. The person asked the Rebbe, how do you know that the Jewish faith is the right faith." And the the interview just went from question to question and all of a sudden the Rebbe says the difference between Judaism and every other religion is every other religion works from the format of a punitive God while Torah works from the premise of a compassionate and forgiving God. I read this letter and I asked myself Why? Why can the Rebbe say that? Because if you look into the Torah, even in this week's Torah portion, if the breastplate is going to be shaking, he's dead. If he walks in without bells, he's dead. If it is, he's dead. The death penalty is, I mean, we shouldn't have a population problem according to the Torah. So why is the Rebbe saying that our Torah comes from from the format of compassion comes from the premise of a God that's forgiving, always giving a second chance. When you read the Chumash, it really doesn't sound like that. So much so, that later on, at the end of the forty years, the Jews have a whole conversation with Moses. By the time it finishes with those curses, seven times seven, you know, the verses that, that we cringe at. And they will eat their kids' flesh, and you know, and if you don't listen, if you still don't listen, if you still don't listen, it's like unbelievable. And then the next thing you know is the Jews talk to God to Moses. They tell Moses, "We don't have a chance. We're the imperfect human being. This is the perfect God. He wrote for us the perfect Torah. And how do you fit a perfect glove on an imperfect hand?" And Moses answers. You learned the Rashi there. Moses answers exactly what the Rebbe wrote, what the Rebbe said in this interview. What are you worried about? You see that you're still alive. You guys botched up horribly from the golden calf and everything. You see that God's compassionate. Ah, the book. The book's written. <laughs> the book's written. The book's full of the death penalty. And yet the Talmud tells us any courthouse that kills more than once in 70 years is considered murderers. Fit it into the verse, or we'll fit it into the verse. But that's the fact. So, it's not just the Rebbe's faith that if the Torah says it must be so. A lot of Jews have that faith. But I'm going to add on one word. A lot of Jews resentfully have that faith. I'm at the point in this lecture where I'm thinking I shouldn't be recording this, but it's okay. A lot of Jews resentfully have that faith. Now, I'm not projecting here but I want to just share a scenario which you may be familiar with. So you're kosher, and then you took upon yourself to be Chal As if kosher is not enough, we're going to be Chal And for Chassidim, that's a biggie. It's a real biggie. You make a mistake and you don't eat Khal Yisrael, you actually cause yourself to regurgitate it. We're very careful with Chal Now let's talk about this. So there you are in Whole Foods in Kalkaska, Michigan, looking for something to eat. Have you guys ever tried to find a Chol Yisrael or non-dairy protein bar in Whole Foods in Kalkaskia, Michigan? Are you really feeling very loved by God? Are you really feeling how compassionate this Torah is? It's protecting us from eating what we're not supposed to be eating. I know. <laughs> as kids we used to look at the gentiles walking around with those turkey sticks in orlando i was wondering as we took our soggy tuna fish sandwich who is the chosen nation after all what is it so i'm going to refer you to an orachayim in boratius this conversation that i am cynically having with you is how the orachayim translates the conversation between the serpent and Eve He translates that the snake the serpent was telling Eve don't you get it he's afraid that you're going to be just like him And if you can be just like him then him with the capital H is no more capital H because everyone is now with a capital H You women know what we're talking about right You buy this gorgeous dress, you walk into a wedding and someone else is wearing it. (laughs) Ah, What kind of God is God if everyone's a God? So the the question over here is how is God going to make sure that he's always one step ahead of us? So we have the old format of governments. By keeping you down and picking myself up, I am the Macher and you are not. And that's exactly what the serpent is telling Eve. Don't you get it? He's afraid that if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you'll be just like him. And that is the only reason why he told you not to eat from the tree of knowledge. Because he wants to be the only him with a capital H. The Rachaim explains that Eve responds back. He says, no, no, no. You're coming from a worm's eye perspective, not a bird's eye perspective. The Worm's Eye always thinks everyone's out to control them. Everyone does a conspiracy. It's the government, the this, the that. The Bird's Eye perspective understands that when a father tells a child, don't do this, it's because the father or mother wants to make sure that the child is healthy. And what the father and mother knows that the child doesn't know is that when you eat six hot dogs in one night, you're going to get sick. And all the kid can think of is, huh, look at that. He doesn't want me to eat hot dogs. He just doesn't like when I'm happy. Now he's going to make me eat those green vegetables. You understand the different perspective here, the worm's eye and the bird's eye? The worm's eye is a slave's mentality who is constantly feeling that everything that the master is doing is just to pull rank. It's an executive moment. He once again is going to prove me who's in charge here. And we do that because we unfortunately come from that type of upbringing. It's interesting. I heard from the Rebbe once. The Rebbe was talking about a certain translation in Yiddish. He said that his teacher, when it came to the type of gold that was used in the temple that we're learning in these two parshiot used to say in Yiddish, the translation was in Yiddish, Zohov Toher, Gingergold. And the Rebbe asked him, what is Gold?" And the teacher answered the Rebbe, when you grow up, you'll find out. And the Rebbe smiled. And the Rebbe said, when I grew up, I found out that he didn't know what Gingergold was. And the Rebbe justified it. He was in some shtetl, where did he ever see Gingergold? But those type of language, when you grow up, We only give information on a need to know basis. If I tell you I'll have to kill you. You can't use this bathroom. This is the executive bathroom. You're gonna have to go downstairs to the bathroom. Those are all statements of a worm's eye perspective of God, creation, teacher, student, parent, child, employer, employee. This is all the same type of mentality. I would suggest to say that the largest percentage of observant Torah-studying Jews struggle with this when they learn Torah. They struggle at times to really feel that the reason why God kept me starving in Kalkaska, Michigan is because He loves me and He wants me to make sure that I don't contaminate my soul and make it unhealthy because non-kosher food for a Jew is unhealthy. You wouldn't eat poison ivy in Calcasa, Michigan just because you're starving. Don't eat non-kosher. And for a Chassid, that includes don't eat non-khalb We struggle with that. And that's why, to most of us, there's an absolute tug-of-war between us and God. We're looking for loopholes because we don't want to go to hell. We definitely don't want God to punish us in this hard economic times. So we got to make sure not to do no sins. But if we can find a loophole, we can say, God, "Eh, listen, you said that rabbi, I I read it myself. We right away grab that. And we do that because we're struggling with God. We're struggling with God that you've taken enough from me. So as much as I can get back, I'm going to take back. I'll pay my dues what I have to. But if I can get a loophole here, If I can get some rabbi to tell me that there is a opinion, I'm going for it. That comes from a certain mindset. When we talk about the Rebbe's faith in Torah, the Rebbe's faith in Torah is not just that Torah is right. It's not just that Torah is going to mandate who goes to heaven and who takes the elevator south. But it's actually an absolute Torah chesed. In the world of Jewish study, We call the Torah Rahmanah. God is called the Compassionate One. And Torah is the Torah of the Compassionate One. So no, God is not trying to pull rank. God is not trying to have a separation of the classes. God is actually caring. Compassionately caring. To have a faith like Moses, it's not enough to believe that the Torah is right. It's not enough to believe that the Torah controls the laws of nature. We need to feel loved and protected, cuddled by the laws of Torah. And if Torah says I shouldn't do this, then I'm so happy that Torah has got my back, making sure I don't hurt myself. Torah Chesed, a total different thing. Most of us are focusing Torah Emet. Of course it's Emet, but who says Emet is good? No, Torah Chesed—it's a kind Torah. And then I want to go to the third faith. Whoa. The third faith is the faith in a fellow Jew. I want to tell you two stories. Two stories that I know personally who is involved. One story is about three brothers. Three brothers that had this nasty habit of making commitments and not keeping it. They actually were involved here in Florida. I actually saw a video of them standing in front of the Rebbe. It's a very interesting. These three brothers ended up in Vancouver and told the shliach there that he wants him to open up a kollel, and they take upon himself the salary of the young rabbis, the couples that will come down to study Torah. Now, the one that they spoke to wrote a letter to the Rebbe telling the Rebbe that this is what they promised, but I'm concerned because their track record is that they have good intentions, but as my uncle would lovingly say, the road to purgatory is paved with good intentions. Now to bring down ten couples, take upon yourself a salary. You know, it's one thing if you tell me to build a building, I have a mortgage, now i got to rip my own hair out of head, my head. But taking ten young couples down, playing around with their salary, that's not a joke. The Rebbe's response was just aghast that a Jew told you he's going to make a donation And you're telling me you don't trust him let me tell you a story closer to home my father-in-law came from russia to israel he came to america and he had his first audience with the rebbe and the rebbe asked my father-in-law you know that you have cousins here in america Mm, yes did you visit them yes Those he put on tefillin one of the specific brothers and my father in law, being a blessed memory, my father in law was uh, a sharp, sharp individual. He didn't survive Russia running down the ground by being stupid. And he answered the Rebbe, of ye. He says that he does. Telling the Rebbe that I asked him, he said he does, but between you and I, Rebbe, he doesn't put on film. That's pretty much what the saying is. Now, if you know the history, you go and you look on the, the gem videos, you'll notice that having a three-minute audience with the Rebbe is over average. What I heard was that the Rebbe ranked out my father-in-law for 20 minutes. A Jew told you that he puts on film and you don't trust him? Now, I spent literally an entire night with a lot of L'Chaim's in Yeshiva down on 12th and Alton talking about the story because my father-in-law was right. <laughs> his cousin did not put on tefillin. So what did the Rebbe want from him? If the Rebbe wants him that he believed that his cousin is putting on tefillin, he'll never talk to him to put on tefillin. So what's the purpose? There is no, there is no point in being naive and believing what is not true. So what did the Rebbe want from my father-in-law? I brain the night with the Bachrim and I gave my thoughts on it and uh, whatever. But that's not what I wanna share about tonight. I want to share about tonight that unshakable faith in a jew i want to tell you what i see in this story what i see is that the natural the natural nature inclination thought speech and action patterns of a jew is good i what happens what happens is that sometimes he's overcome by a spirit of folly and you're acting the way you normally don't act. Now, any of us that have, behaved, that have been in a relationship knows how that feels. We know how we're not upset at the other person for acting like a jerk. We're upset at ourselves that we allow that other person to get to us and make us behave in a way which we don't feel comfortable behaving. Why did I let that individual push my buttons? Why did I let that individual get me angry? Why did I let that individual get me to raise my voice? So what we're actually saying is this isn't me. And this person brings the worst out of me. And I really don't like how I feel like that. What am I saying here? That this is not me. I don't do these things. I'm pushed out of my norm and then I react. And now the question is why do I let myself get pushed out of the norm? Power can't be given. Power must be taken. Water has a rippling effect, not because of the rock, but because of the water. So when you're looking at another Jew, what you need to see is a person who, given the chance, will do what's right. And what we're struggling with is to help that person have the chance to do what's right. Most of us don't, especially those of us who have been hurt ever, and I don't know any human that has not been hurt ever, intentionally or unintentionally. Most of us already have what we call a kruma oig, a crooked eye on our fellow Jew. Most of us believe that our fellow Jew will take advantage of us unless they're afraid of getting caught. What a different perspective. And to be able to unshakably believe after you've been hurt and let down time and time and time again. To be able to believe that a Jew will do what is right if they're just given the chance. Let's talk about Moses. Moses told God, Pharaoh, said, the Jews didn't listen to me. They're not going to believe me. He even went so far as saying, if the Jews don't believe me, how do you expect Pharaoh to listen to me? And then comes that verse which says that Moses was right. It clearly says, and the Jewish people did not listen to Moses. But, the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, They didn't listen to Moses because of shortness of breath. And hard work. They were in such a broken stage that they were not capable of hearing Moses tell them that the time has come. We're going to be redeemed. What that verse is telling us is that the natural state of the Jewish people is to believe Moses. But there was a side issue which was messing up The natural flow of gravity for a Jew. And what was that side issue? Shortness of breath and hard work. But to be able to look at another Jew and say, this is a Jew who will do exactly what they're supposed to do, just given the chance. When you know them for 48 years, and it seems like they were never given the chance. But still to hold on to that faith. That's Moses. You know, I've been in the education field, worked for yeshivas, I taught. There is nothing more dangerous to our education department than a teacher or a principal that has lost faith in students. When I sit with a teacher and he's cynical when he talks about students, when he's cynical when he talks about parents, it's time to get that guy a job on 47th Street selling diamonds. Stay away from our children. A Moses that had lost faith in his people should retire. Spend his life in Jerusalem, but no more Moses. So, when we talk about the faith of Moses, the Rebbitson laid it out on the table for us a total different realm of faith in the Torah. I'm sorry, let's start. Faith in God. That not only God exists, not only God is in tra- control, not only God is my God, not only God is just, but God is absolutely compassionate and good. And if it's God at the driver's wheel, I have nothing, the steering wheel, I have nothing to worry about. Sleep like a baby, this is going to be a pleasant journey. Some hard work, some easy work, but hard work is not, does not mean not pleasant. A faith in the Torah... That not only the Torah is the rules, which decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Not only that the Torah will always be right, but that the Torah is absolutely kind, protective, and compassionate. And faith in a fellow Jew. Faith in a fellow Jew that regardless of what their past is, when you look in the eyes of a Jew, you'll always see someone who will do what is right if they're just given the chance that type of faith is unbelievable i will tell you as a parent there is no way to bring up a responsible child if you don't trust that child what makes a child a responsible child is by giving them responsibilities now i'm not asking you to give them the keys to the car let's start with the small things but if you don't trust the child that child can never become responsible And then we wonder why we have another codependent Jew on our hands. Moses is unbelievable. And what we have, because we're blessed with Moses, we're blessed with teachings of Moses, we're blessed with videos of the Moses of our generation, just listen to the words there. It's just unbelievable. We have a taste of it. And if we're just willing to be brave, Step out of our self-protected cynicism because that's all cynicism is. It's self-protection. Be daring to believe in God. Really believe in God, in the goodness of God. Be daring to believe in the goodness of Torah. Really the goodness of Torah. And it's not easy. I sat with a Kohen who was with a girl that he wasn't allowed to be as a Kohen and he found it out. They were both crying at my table. But they had the faith. That they weren't meant for each other that's not easy that's not easy for to see God tell you that you cannot marry the one you love you can be resentful to God for the rest of your life you can live the rest of your life thinking well gee thanks he's God I don't want to go to hell so I'm just gonna listen to him but I don't really think God is good I don't really think his Torah is compassionate it always gets in the way how many times have we all heard these words religion breaks families is there resentment there? And the same thing with a fellow Jew. What a horrible world we would live in if more than we worry about Iran and more than we worry about what America's pressure is going to be now on Israel, we have to worry that our own I can't trust my own because they're bad. And we break it up into demographics. Israelis are like this, uh, that, uh, this. like that. We always have a reason. It's not me it is me it's me being afraid to believe that a person would do what's right but when you connect it to moses you listen to the teachings of moses just watch moses in action you get a little taste of what these real faiths are all about people's